Hello, Maura. Hey, Cheryl, how are you doing? I am doing just fine. So, you know, normally this is just the two of us, right? I know, and it's very interesting. We're going to shock people today. We're going to bring on a guest. We're going to blow their minds. Yes. There's three of us here today. Absolutely. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our special guest? So, how long have we known one another? Probably 15 years. Yeah. So, this is uh, Brian Krebs, and why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? Great. Thanks for having me. This is my first podcast, so I'm going to do the best I can here. Been in the uh, mortgage industry now for 20 years. Known Cheryl for around 15, maybe aging us a little bit. We're veterans, but anyway, I've been... We started really young. Yeah. 12. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Yeah, I've been a broker. I've been a banker. I've had my own correspondent lending company. Pretty much done everything in this industry in my 20 years. And seen all the cycles we've been through. And, of course, we're in a current, currently in a new cycle that we haven't seen before. But I love the industry, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. We're so glad to have you. And we are talking today sort of as a follow-up to our most recent episode, which was how and why to partner with a closing attorney. Today we're going to take that conversation over to the loan officer side and why every realtor, whether you are a veteran in the industry or you're brand new and you're looking for ways to learn a little more and connect with the people that really make up your extended team. Exactly. And I think that's probably the the underlying focus of both of these episodes is that it takes a village to get these things closed. So there are times when we're dealing with people that we haven't worked with before, and that might be a good experience and it may not be, but there is a certain shorthand and a magic that can happen when you're dealing with the same people over and over and over again. And there's a level of expectation and there's the ability, I think, to communicate with one another more effectively. Definitely. And as an industry, the word team has sort of morphed into this beast of its own, right? Mm -hmm. Real estate agents who have a team, whether that is an administrative assistant or maybe you're a team leader with buyer agents, or maybe you are a member of one of those mega teams that have started popping up in the last couple of years. But what we're really talking about in, in the last episode and today is how do you choose that extended team? They're not people on your payroll. They're not even someone that you would have necessarily any kind of financial arrangement with. Right. You really are gathering people around you that are, for lack of a better word, they're just your people. They are the ones that you're trusting with the referral of your clients and you work together to get them toward their dream of, in this case, home ownership. And who those people are may change over time because people change companies, things don't work out. And, you know, I think one of the primary reasons that that you know Brian is through me, right? Absolutely. So, you know, because Brian and I had worked together for years and years through changes in my company, changes in his companies and you know when you were when you were needing another person uh, then Brian was the person that I recommended for that and of course who did I call when I needed the referral of a new person but someone else that I already trusted exactly so Brian first of all thanks for being with us my pleasure Secondly, let's start this conversation with the obvious. We know kind of what's in it for you when an agent puts you on their preferred lender list, right? Of course, as a realtor myself, I don't want to just give one name because I don't want to be seen as steering my people. So when you are one of two or three that your realtor friends are giving to their buyers, we know that that could potentially get you business. But what else is in it for you? Well, for me, I mean, as you said, it's being part of a team. You guys know that you can come knock on my door at night. You know, I'm local. What I tell a lot of these clients is that I hope to earn your business, but for some reason I don't. 
do not use an online lender. Um, the realtor is going to want someone that can call and get an answer immediately, uh, make the transaction go a lot smoother. Being local and being in the community and someone you know that we may go out for a happy hour with or such is, is a big plus. And I love that you take that advice that I give my clients of using a local lender. You know, you can use anyone you want, but please, at the very least, make sure they're local. I love that you echo that, and that wasn't even something that I had to be concerned about or something that I had to ask you to do or a script I handed you. That's something that you know makes a difference. And so your understanding of what the realtors who are working with these buyers are hoping for that makes a huge difference too, and it means our messaging is on the same page. Well, and and also to your point about possibly about giving out more than one lender, I mean, I would think you would probably agree, Brian. Different personalities, like, absolutely, mesh a whole lot better. So there's probably also a certain benefit to having a couple of loan officers that have different styles and different personalities. Hundred percent. And so, because I would describe your your style as as pretty to the point, right? You got me nailed. Yep. I mean, that is, and 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 I appreciate that. You know, if we're trying to get something worked out, then there's always just the focus on the end goal. But I think having someone who who also can effectively communicate. So when she's handing off that name, what is the what's usually the first contact and the first conversation that you're having? Well, hopefully, you know, it's when I get the loan application in, I'm going to call the client and review everything and see if I have any questions, whether it's income or anything about them. Because as we all know, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes in these transactions and a lot of things that can go wrong. So I like to get to these things on the front side. And um, as you said, I'm pretty straightforward. If something comes up, I'd rather the realtor and everyone else know on the front side than at the last minute. Absolutely. One of the things you mentioned is that you'll call to ask questions about income or things that you need to clear up. And I know this from knowing you and from the conversation that we had just before we hit record, that you have been doing this for so long that you can generally tell from the loan application whether or not that buyer is going to be a slam dunk. What would be the circumstances under which you would need to do a little bit more work up front? For example, that buyer who truly needs needs, not just wants because they want to or wants because their realtor told them to, but truly needs to go through underwriting before they start looking because you know from what you've seen that there are some issues that we need to work through. Sure. So most of the clients, if they're W-2 salaried, they're pretty cookie cutter. I can look at a file in five minutes and tell whether they'll get approved after seeing their credit and everything else. The ones that come in that are a little tricky could be a self-employed borrower, Maybe there's a divorce involved or other things. And then I'm going to want to see more paperwork so I can verify everything and ask the right questions because sometimes borrowers have uh, forgetfulness. They don't tell you everything, um, and you have to dig farther to find them out. And this happens more often than not. Forgetfulness, in air quotes, whether <laughs> literal or figurative forgetfulness. Oh, yeah. and, and you were actually mentioning to us something that happened right before you walked in to record today. And that's really what made me think of that question. So what would be the circumstances where you would feel you needed extra paperwork, extra explanation? And how does that work out when you have a partnership with that agent? So literally, I was sitting in the parking lot today and I got a call from a number I didn't recognize, which I usually don't answer. But for some reason, since I had nothing better to do, I did answer it. And it was a borrower who was under contract and was uh, working with an online lender who gave him a piece of paper that said pre-approval. 
evidently they didn't do their due diligence. Uh, the loan got denied. So the realtor who had you know given my name out originally said, please call Brian. So I, I was talking to him for 10 minutes. It was one of those loans where I am going to ask for a lot of documentation and go back and ask questions. Self-employed, changed the way he filed tax returns in the last year, just got divorced, mm. just paid off a lot of debt, so a lot of moving parts. Um, this is a perfect example of someone that I may be able to help, but I'm not going to tell the realtor yes until I'm 100% sure. And I appreciate that probably more than anything with you and with the other loan officer that I have on my list of people that I recommend. It's that we're not going to beat around a bush. You're not going to say yes outright just to make someone happy, but you're not going to say no either. You're really going to put the time in to dig into the file to see if you can help them. And you're going to be honest with the client about it instead of giving them what it sounds like they got from this online lender, an unrealistic expectation or a feeling that they were going to be able to qualify and move forward. And now you say they're under contract. They're deep in the process. They probably have already spent money on inspections. They may have already given a deposit to a mover. The the wheels are in motion and that lender clearly dropped the ball. We don't know all the details, of course, but that's what it sounds like. Well, I mean, you also got to realize I don't want my realtor partner driving around showing these properties if a borrower can't qualify to buy a house. Um, gas is expensive and your time's you know worth a lot of money as well. So need to stop the process at the beginning if they're truly not qualified. Or if they're just not qualified for that price point. I mean, that's that's the thing when when I'm teaching. I'm like, you know, do they really... I don't think anyone... And you correct me if I'm wrong, which I know you will, Brian. Um, <laughs> Gladly. But I absolutely, and you will enjoy every second of it. So, but I, I don't know that anyone necessarily has the greatest sense of what price house they can afford necessarily. I think that that really comes from uh, going through everything and and seeing what the payments are going to be, factoring in everything, looking at the total like debt to income and all of that other. I just don't think that, that most consumers can effectively do that on their own. And God forbid you add in, now it's a condo with a high monthly association fee. My experience, it, it, I just had a conversation last week, was that a buyer knew how much money he brought home every month and made an assumption based on what he was willing to spend of that money that he could afford a $300,000 condo with an $850 a month association fee. But when he spoke to a lender, they told him something very different. And when he called me, I said, you're going to need to call my lenders. And he said, oh, I already spoke to a lender. Well, it turns out that lender told him no. So he just wants to go look at properties anyway. (laughs) And now we're talking about not just wasting my time, like Brian said, driving around, making appointments, wasting the seller's time, asking them to leave the property. But this buyer, without any real concrete evidence that he could afford, in fact, with some concrete evidence from one lender that he can't, still wants to see the properties. And that's where we enter into a very questionable client relationship because I know for a fact I'm not going to be able to help you with what you tell me you want right now. So I love that he actually had a lender who told him no because I know that's what you likely would also say, Brian, but it's it, those aren't the ones I worry about. It's the buyers who don't have the idea, like you said, Cheryl. Right. But then the lenders who, through a five-minute online chat room conversation, will spit out that prequal, and then we'll get into the process and not have success. So y'all would be real interested to know how many people that we talk to actually don't know how much money they make a year. Like some of them just have no clue. And 
they're going into this process trying to figure out, and they have been on an online calculator and such, mm-hmm. and they still have no concept in their head what their monthly income is. And it's mind-boggling to me. And I think the other issue that we run into, of course, is people who are currently renting. You don't have to qualify to rent the way you have to qualify. I mean, in, in some cases, yes, depending on who the landlord is and, and whether it's owned by a corporation and what the application process is. But really, there's not a true qualification process. You can say, I'm fine with paying $2,000 a month in rent, and you may only make $2,500 a month. And the landlord may accept you because they just expect you to figure it out. Well, and I think agents probably need to understand that that there is that difference. And you you will have some, some borrowers who probably are pretty good but on paper, it just doesn't look as good as as they feel. There can be people with really high credit scores, but in terms of what they have, uh, years and years ago, my mother-in-law's passed away at this point, but I know when she was buying a house for John's sister, you know, she was a person who had obviously ex- excellent credit. She had no debt, but she also had very little income. She was sitting there with assets, and assets aren't necessarily the most helpful thing to have. I think, you know, her income, oil, oil doesn't make what it used to make. <laughs> and uh, and Social Security, you know, wasn't going to afford the Ashley's house The remake of payment. Dallas tells me otherwise, Cheryl. Yes, and all of the companies that are that are psychodialing me right now. Thank you. But there is a you know there there is a difference between having assets and having income. And there's going to be you know what what do you wish agents knew more of of the things that are that are going to be important? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I could go on for a long time about this because they they're not going to dig into what's going on with these borrowers financially. Um, and you know they could have all kinds of things going on. Um, but back to what you're saying about assets, we actually can turn assets into income in certain circumstances, and a lot of people don't know that. There's still a lot of moving parts on these loans, and you know, there's a lot of gray area. It's not all black and white. There's some creative things we can come up with, but it's best just to have a conversation, whether it's with me or another partner of yours on your list. Just don't call an online lender. That's like the worst thing ever. Unless you're doing a refinance, you probably can get away with it. On the purchase side, be local and work with partners. Well, and, and one of the big things, other than, than what I joke with my clients, which is I know where both Brian and my other lender live, so I could actually go and knock on your door. But more importantly, when they're local, they, they know the contracts, because as Cheryl and I have talked about a number of times on this podcast, at least here in Georgia, we do have state contracts for realtors or for real estate agents who choose to pay for access to them. They not only know the contracts and the local standards, but they are more available and you are sure to get the same person every time you make the call instead of calling that 1-800 number and then giving them your you know, customer number or your loan application number or some varying degree of code they give you so they can punch it into the system and bring up your file. And read the notes and familiarize themselves with your file before they can even begin to approach answering the question. And that's optimistic because you're assuming they're actually doing that rather than just spitting out a generic answer. I would hope that they would be reading the notes, but I don't have a lot of faith in that happening. But maybe that's just my own personal experience. I've had similar experiences. Sure. But back to Cheryl's other question, which you said you could spend days answering. If you had to just name maybe the top three things that you wish every realtor, real estate agent understood 
about sending the client to a local lender and and how to advise them. You know, most of the time we talk to the client before they get to you when they're purchasing and then we're sending them to you. What do you wish every real estate agent knew to say to those buyers before they pass them on to you to make your job easier? I think one of the biggest things is that a lot of these buyers don't want to provide backup documentation. So they'll say, I make X amount of dollars a year, but they're sometimes reluctant to send you W-2s and pay stubs. It's very important that they send us those documents so we can verify. So we're not just going off of what the borrowers say, because a lot of times they don't know. Um, you know, things like we have to source where money comes from. You know, sometimes these clients magically have money show up in their accounts and they don't think that's a problem, um, but we have to track that. I've had clients that have had money in their mattresses or in a you know, coffee can in the backyard and it's cash. So cash is almost impossible to use for one of these transactions. So that's that's one of the biggest ones I see out there. So it sounds like a, just prepping the consumer better. Now, I will give myself a pat on the back right now, which, you know, what do we talk about? Healthy self-esteem? Healthy, healthy. Yeah, healthy. Cheryl and I talk a lot on this podcast about how we have healthy self-esteem. Well, you both look marvelous. Well, thank you. Uh, but I do have, I have a page on my website that says a common list of documents that the lender's going to ask you for. And I send that to all of my buyers before they, I, mean, I hope they read it, but it's telling them it is completely normal for your lender to ask you for these things. 1099s, W-2s, bank statements, statements of assets from your financial planner, from your investment accounts. I try to normalize the conversation around money. Because, of course, here we are in the South, right? And where are we not supposed to talk about in polite conversation? Politics, religion, and money. Those were not things that were taboo in my house growing up. But I understand that that is something that some people are very uncomfortable talking about. And they often have an, an inaccurate idea of what is safe or not safe to share with a professional. And when you're trying to buy a house, if there are any consumers listening... If you are trying to buy a house, your lender is going to ask you for these things. A truly great lender is going to have a secure portal that you can upload those documents in a secure way. But sometimes you just also have to be comfortable with emailing them and you can't redact things. You can't redact account numbers and social security numbers and tax ID numbers because they have to be able to prove that they're they're authentic documents. Yes, I, I do get documents. I've had, I've had a bank statement come over where they took a black line through everything except how much money was in the account. And so even the name on the account everything. as to who it belonged they, to. It literally, it was just, I have $200,000. Everything else was in black marker. And that may fly for proof <laughs> of funds if you're offering an appraisal guarantee. The other agent may take that as proof, but your lender needs to see it all. Yeah, I think you, you really do have to be an open book at that point. And I think that I think that's a great point because Brian sees it on his side. We see it on our side where people will just refuse to give us things that are going to be absolute requirements of things we have to have. So, you know, on our side at a closing, we can't close without a seller's social security number because we've got IRS taxation and all those other things. And even but even more things for you, because, I mean, financially, you have to be an open book. Yep. And and I'm sure there are some people that are just naturally concerned. There may be other times, and I'm sure there are, when one spouse doesn't have a full full idea of what the other spouse's financial situation is. And at the point where if you're an agent and someone, you know, one side's telling you not to tell someone else something, if it's part of the finances, it's going to come out. Everything we take in is um, able to be uploaded securely. 
So there's very little risk, if any. Back to your other question. One thing I wish that would happen more on the front side when the buyers get with the realtors is do not change anything about your financial life or your employment during this transaction without telling your lender. Mm-hmm. Um, and by had, telling, we mean asking before, <laughs> yeah, not, 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 not advising I, after. I have had people change jobs three days before closing and not tell us. However, we typically verify employment a day or two before closing just to make sure. And for some reason, people don't think we need to know that. And we catch pretty much everything these days. Well, and this is not an ask for forgiveness rather than permission no. situation. This is maybe one of the rare scenarios where... You absolutely need to inform, 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 or as we realtors say, disclose, disclose, disclose. And you need to you need to be looking as the consumer, your realtor and your loan officer should be the people that you are trusting the most to where you are telling them more than you think they need to know so that you don't somehow default accidentally and then put yourself at risk for losing your earnest money and maybe a lot worse. And not just the job. I mean, you know, what are the other things that, that, that agents should make sure they're telling the buyers about? Don't buy the car right before closing, right? Toll or a boat. Don't or a boat. I had that happen. $1,000 a month payment showed up just before closing for, on a boat. I had, I had one where when we were going through the closing documents, there was the lender had accidentally swapped two of the numbers of the social security number when they were physically entering it into the documents. And these days that might not happen because they may pull directly from their credit information. So that eliminates that sort of error. But when we were going to make the, the change, the lender said, Give me, give me 10 minutes because if I change a borrower's social security number in this system, it's going to automatically, as a, as a quality control thing, it's going to repull credit. And uh, at that point, one of the buyers, the husband, had gotten a, a Lowe's or a Home Depot credit card that week and had purchased all of the appliances for mm. the new house. Mm-hmm. And they were tight, and the, the husband no longer qualified for the loan. Like, that busted the closing completely up. So I, I don't think that agents should assume that their buyers don't know to do these sorts of things. But they really just need to hold on for a little while. We certainly, we certainly shouldn't be assuming that buyers know anything. Correct. And I don't mean that to say that consumers are stupid, because I don't think that that's true. But they don't do this every day. Right. And similarly, for the same reason that some of them have a level of discomfort with, for example, writing their social security number on your secure form for the law firm, right. or uploading documents in your secure portal for the loan application, the more they trust the realtor and the better the realtor is at educating and communicating these things, what to expect, when you might have to give your social, and then also what to expect on the fraud side, right? We, we warn them about wire fraud dangers. But the first step in that is having better informed realtors and realtors who are taking the time to educate the client. So, Brian, your list is getting longer. It's um, an idea of the kinds of things they're going to be asked for, not to make those major purchases or life-changing decisions. And if you do, for example, have a job offer that is just too good to turn down, what would you tell that person if they, if they did listen to me and they called you first and they said, Brian, I've been offered this job. I know we're closing in two weeks. They want me to start the day before closing. What's the process there? Because there must be some kind of a loophole that doesn't require a consumer to turn down a great opportunity. Um, Great question. And in most cases, they can still get the loan. 
we would need a signed executed offer letter with no contingencies and a start date. And what we would do is call right before closing, literally right before closing to make sure that HR that had, nothing had been pulled, nothing had been was, changed. Yeah. Cause some of these offers do have contingencies in them to pass drug screening. You know, sometimes they have to have education requirements, mm-hmm. but in most cases we can make it work as long as there's not a big decrease in income. It's equal or, or higher. Usually we can make it work in a hurry. And probably what the guaranteed income is, right? Because if you're starting a new position and a portion of it is bonus income, then you don't have a history of bonuses. So we're really talking about what the guaranteed portion of the income Um, is. On bonus income, we need to show you've been getting it for two years in order to use it. Let's switch gears a little bit because I think hopefully anyone who's listening is either doing a lot of this already and it's kind of solidifying for them that they're on the right track. Maybe they are making notes that they could be a little better organized with the the things that they're giving the buyer up front. We know that that's what you would love in a perfect world, that we could do better as realtors. And we know that the, the benefit to you, of course, of us partnering with you is is you get you get buyer clients and you get them highly recommended and referred from an agent that they hopefully have a trust relationship with. What else other than great service, which really is is enough for me, it's enough for me to know that the lenders I refer to are going to take great care of my clients. But what else do you offer to real estate agents or to realtors to try to get them to want to put you on their list? Communication. I actually talked to a realtor today that I've never worked with before. And she said, I've never had a lender so responsive as you. And same thing with the clients. They, you know, in today's world, everyone wants instant gratification. And I'm an A-type personality. I'm from up north, although I consider myself a southerner now. I'm very happy here. And Cheryl knows this as well, and you do too, Maura, that, you know, if you ask me something via text, email, whatever, you're getting an answer very quick, usually within mm-hmm. minutes, sometimes mm-hmm. within seconds. And the reason I, I operate that way is because when, when I'm a consumer myself, that's how I want to be treated. So that's how I treat my clients. Well, and, you know, side note, I did call Brian the day he had surgery recently, and he answered the phone and I said, oh, you are you sick? Are you okay? And he said, well, I had surgery this morning. So kudos on seeing my name pop up on the phone and answering it. Had I known, please know that I would not have called you that day. <laughs> I just didn't know. But I, I appreciate quick communication. I know that I'm not, I'm sometimes not the easiest person to deal with. I know that I have high expectations of communication. I, because I try to do the same of what I expect when I'm the client, that's what I try to deliver to my clients. What else would be, other than great communication, what are some other things that you think sets you apart or that you offer to realtors who are looking to put somebody new on their list? Um, I would say knowledge. I've been doing this for 20 years and lending, there's obviously many different types of loan products, but I think people need to know things like if you're getting an FHA loan, for example, the guidelines are about a thousand pages long. Mm-hmm. I don't know them all. I don't pretend to know them all, but there's also VA products, jumbo, conventional. There's a lot to read and it changes all the time. And I'm still learning every day, but I, I feel like I have a great knowledge um, of what's out there. And um, I think that's a big plus. I think uh, I think you're right. I think that, that institutional memory, I mean, we've all been through also a lot of different markets. So it's not only just, you know, knowledge of what the guidelines are. It's like, the, the thinking outside of the box and what we were able to do in the past and, you know, what whatever it is, you know, ideas that we've had in the past that may help get a borrower through. Well, and I very much appreciate that you say bluntly 
I don't know all of the ins and outs, and you can't. And I would warn any realtor who is establishing relationships with a new lender or looking to do that, that if anyone tells you that they do know every in and out of VA financing or FHA or even everything that's possible with conventional and or jumbo, that that's not a person that you should trust because that's a gross exaggeration of what they actually do know. It is impossible to know all of it. What is possible is to have the knowledge and the experience to know where to look for the answers. There's no one here that can tell me that they know all thousand pages of the VA handbook or the FHA handbook. But if you know the, the handbook well enough, you know where to find the answer that you need. I also rely on a lot of other loan officers at my company that have been in the industry for a lot of years. We share ideas and we, you know, we have a tough scenario. We ask each other. Uh, as you said, nobody knows it all. I don't care how long you've been in this business. There's a lot to learn. And I learn something new literally every week. So you have to lean on other people sometimes. And having those relationships within your own company or within your own industry with people who technically could be considered your competition, that resonates with me because that's what I have with my realtor colleagues around the state, around the country. The ability to, when when faced with a, an obstacle or a challenge, if you will. Because opportunity. I, I love, yes, I love an opportunity and I love a challenge. I love to be able to be the problem solver for my clients and that's what I want the people on my team. That's why I love, you know, Cheryl knows, I, I call her sometimes with something wacky going on. I don't know how we get lucky enough, Cheryl, to get all the wacky ones. Opportunities to learn. Yes, but the universe puts them in our way because they know that we'll learn from them. But I want to work with people who see challenges as opportunities to solve problems, not challenges as things that we should turn away from or be discouraged by. I will also say that there are, having seen a lot of loan officers, obviously, uh, throughout my very short period of 20 plus years as a closing attorney, that, um, that I think agents should also uh, be looking at how active the loan officer is. So there's, you know, one the the official you know term for a loan officer in Georgia is a mortgage loan originator, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the person who starts the process, and sometimes that's all that they do at that point too. So we do have a lot of times where as soon as the the loan officer gets the deal, they have very little interaction after that. They pass it off to a processor, and if you call the LO, they don't really know what's going on in the file. And I will say I've never had that kind of a conversation with you, regardless of which company that you may have been with at any point in time. I think the other thing to really, really focus on when you're building those relationships is a loan officer that actually stays with the file the whole time. I'm pretty sure I asked you that question when you gave me Brian's name. I'm pretty positive you did too. Because one of the reasons that I took a previous person off of my list, what, well there were, communication was a big one. It wasn't there, especially if golf was involved. Kudos to Brian for answering the phone when he's playing golf. More likely tennis, but yes. <laughs> it's actually pickleball now. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm an addict. But the bigger one was that this person that used to be one of my preferred lenders did enter into a, a role at a company where when he was done with the quote-unquote origination, 
He no longer had any idea of what was going on in the file. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about changing relationships with your loan officers or forging new ones, or maybe you're brand new in the business and this sounds like something that would be beneficial to you to partner with loan officers, make sure that you know what your own expectations are and what that person will deliver. Because I don't want to know that my clients are constantly getting passed off. Now, yes, the processor comes into play, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, for, ba- for basic communications, some collection of things, the, the loan officer can't necessarily do it all. Right. But they should know what's going on in the file. And I want to know that if I call them as my main contact because my client had a problem or I'm just calling to check in, no problem that I know of. They don't tell me, as many do, especially with some online companies, oh, I don't know, you're going to have to call so-and-so, or you're going to need to talk to the processor, or that's out of my hands now, or I haven't been in that file for three weeks. Now I have less of a sense of confidence than I would have had you just quickly looked at the file and given me an answer. For agents, one of the places I see things break down as they're going through the loan, the, the loan process is if there's an absolute handover from one employee to another, um, whether it's from you know the originator to a junior LO, junior loan officer to a processor, or to whoever is in the next step of the process. The files that I've seen where we have the most issues are when there's like a 100% handoff. There's just things they don't know. There were conversations they weren't part of, and not everything can necessarily is ever necessarily documented in the file. Yeah, so I have a great support staff right now, and I do have a processor and an assistant, and after I hand the file off, once a week, I get a report of all my files, what's outstanding, where we're at, and if there's anything urgent, obviously, I'll know well before that. Once a week, I actually send out video updates now to the realtors and the buyers. Which I love. Um, I started this a few months ago, and people love it. Um, they like to put a face, you know, with right. the person. I do that typically on Thursdays in the morning and let everyone know where we're standing with the file. And even when a clear to close comes, I'll send a little video. So um, I don't just hand it off and disappear. I do like to play golf, though, but I'll still be available. It's how, nice how are your though. short putts, Brian? Oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> As we kind of wrap up, is there anything else that you wish realtors knew or that would make our relationships with you personally, or if they already have a great list of loan officers that they're working with, that would make that relationship more fruitful, more productive, and better for everybody? Um, I think we covered most of it. Listen, everyone's got somebody they know, whatever industry they're in that they have been dealing with and go to. But, you know, if there is a situation where you may have one lender or two or somebody's not quite living up to what you expect, it doesn't hurt to have a conversation. I had coffee with a new realtor this morning, and we hit it off. Um, and we may work together, we may not, but, you know, never hurts to ask. Well, we'll put your contact information in the show notes so that if anyone wants to reach out and have a cup of coffee with you or just a conversation, we'll make sure that they have that contact information. What else do you have, Cheryl? I just think, really, I think that, People should make sure that everyone around them is someone that is a bonus to their team, right? And and that I think that's something that we should always be looking at because people change, companies change, situations change. So I think we get stuck in this inertia of we're just going to keep doing whatever we're doing. And I think we really have to think about... Uh, is there anything I could do to improve the situation? Is there anything I can add? Is there someone that I should replace? You know, is everyone working? Is it is it firing on all cylinders? And I think we should expect that, by and large, it does. 
And as we are navigating, as Brian mentioned earlier in the podcast, as we're navigating definitely new ground, right? A a market that's unlike anything that we have had in the recent past. I've been in the business for 20 years, and it's unlike anything I've seen. It's not 2008 again. It's not 2008 again. It's totally different. But you need to not only have the right people in your corner, But if you're looking for ways to up that level of customer service to your clients, one of the best ways to do that is to have fantastic loan officers that you recommend. Don't just assume that every buyer is going to come with their own ideal lender. Most of them won't even use the one that they used the last time because they've forgotten who it was. But also don't just let them go to that online source. If you have any influence at all, if your clients are growing trustworthy of you, use that influence to make sure that they're getting a local lender who gives the best service possible right here, where you live, where you work, so that if there are issues, you know where to find them. Sounds like a plan. Sounds good to me. Well, thank you for joining us. You are our first guest ever. And this was your first podcast ever, but you did it like a pro. Wow. It's always good to be first. That's right. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.